0: Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is wagering week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right, we are wagering week. 855 the number four, G A R T E N. That's how you get aboard. And it's Facebook and it's Twitter. And it is Sports Garden, G A R T E N. Hashtag S G N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is also how you get in touch with us. And make sure you listen to us every Sunday morning on SportsMap Radio. Over 100 places around the country you can listen to us. It's WannaBet Weekend Edition. And I will tell you guys, we have a lot to go over today. A lot of stuff going on. There is no more wild card weekend. And it really, look, it wasn't that wild. I mean, right? Uh, Let's be honest. It wasn't that wild. We had the stat that I mentioned last week where teams were 15 and 3 against the spread underdogs 15 and 3 against the spread for the last 4 years in wild card play and what did we have two favorites on saturday blowout Kansas City blowout Rams blowout Bills it was all over the place just blowout 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 city And it was favorites and favorites. The only underdog that covered actually won the game. And that was the San Francisco 49ers. In the shortest line that there was, it was only a three-point line. So, you know, you you look at what is going on. And, you know, it's something that we talk about all the time. And that is, trends are there for one reason or the other. But you can't be just an absolute slave to trends. You know, against the spread, numbers are there. Uh, and you look at them, and you look, and you say, "Okay, uh, this is a basis to use it on. It's something to maybe sway in this column or that column." And, and that's how you have to look at sports betting, right? You almost have to have two different columns: column A and column B. And column A is reasons to bet on it. Column B reasons not to. Column B better have almost nothing over there, right? Um, and then you use the culmination. I know people are against the spread betters that just bet strictly on whatever that number was, look, 15-3, you would have got burned. You would have just got flat-out burned last week. I'm sorry. It's just the way it goes. And, you know, it, it's a it's a metric to be used, but with the new legalized sports betting and so many people in the country that are more intelligent bettors, it's just something to pay attention to more than just solely go on it. So when I tell you that, I am now going to follow that up with a trend. Because why not? Well, in the past three seasons, in the past three NFL postseasons, teams that have won their playoff game are 27-3 and against the spread. What does that mean? That means if you're taking the underdog, take the money line, because they're going to just win it outright. If you're taking the favorite, don't worry about the spread. Just go with the favorite and not worry about it. That's what that means. So, let's take a look at the lines here um, and the movement that we had before we kind of dive into each and every game, which we will go over. So, Tennessee opened up as two-and-a-half-point favorite. It quickly went to three, quickly went to three-and-a-half, all within basically the same day. On Tuesday, the number dropped down to three, and then it quickly went back up on Wednesday morning. It was three-and-a-half across the board all the way around. Now, you could get some three-and-a-halves, minus-105s at, like, win bet and whatnot, uh, but generally speaking, there's three and a half across the board. Total 46 to 46 and a half. It did pop up to 47, even a 47 and a half, uh, right around Thursday morning at points bet, you know, was kind of hanging out there. All right. It's all within a point or so. Green Bay, San Francisco, Green Bay opened as a four and a half point favorite quickly went up to five and a half. You could still get five and a half right now at Bet MGM and sixes in the rest of the places across the board. again, It's not all the same because you have a lot of 6s, 105s out there, a lot of 6s, minus 110s. So shop around and do your due diligence there. Tampa and the Rams, Tampa Bay opened up at 2.5 point favorite. It quickly went to 3. Never reached 3.5, quickly went back down to 3, and 3-105 three across the country. Actually, in FanDuel, it's minus 104, and I'm starting to think that it's going to get to 2.5. I know it touched 2.5, minus 120 at win bet earlier, and I think some of these are going to go to that 2.5. And, and then finally, the Sunday night game, Kansas City-Buffalo. Kansas City opened up as a 2.5-point favorite. It never quite reached three, and I know a lot of people were waiting. A lot of Buffalo money was waiting on it hitting three. Well, it's reversed the other way. You still have a two out there at Caesars, but the rest of the board says one and a half across the board and falling. People are all over Buffalo. Not only are they taking Buffalo plus the points, they're also taking Buffalo on the money line. As far as the totals go, San Francisco has been 47, 47.5 across the board, You know, depending on where you're shopping. Same thing with the Rams, Tampa Bay, about 48, 48.5. There is 149 out there with wind bet. If you like the under, there's one of those. The Buffalo-Kansas City line has gone up. There is supposed to be nasty weather, okay? Uh, very cold, a little bit of wind. It went from 53.5 to 54.5, and it has reached 55 at wind bet. So that's uh, the outlier right now, wind bet right now seemingly is the outlier for the under in the Tampa Bay Rams game, for the under if you like Buffalo, Kansas City. That's where you should be shopping. Other places, you know, you get the best lines in certain spots that I could kind of lead you through. But by the time you hear my voice, <laughs> it may be changed. By the time you hear my voice, we might have something quite different. So, again, don't even be a slave to what I'm saying here as far as, as that goes because it may change on a moment's notice. All right, let's get into the games themselves. First game we'll get into, Bengals-Titans. This here starts to become how much do you believe in Derrick Henry? This game starts to become the Derrick Henry question mark game, and that's what it is. If Derrick Henry was 100% healthy, if Derrick Henry would have played in game 17, and shown he had a burst, and Shoney he was healthy, I think that this line would be much higher. I don't think it would be 3 points. Look, this is a number one overall seed. You know that the Tennessee Titans have limitations. You understand that in 10 of the last 11 games, uh, they just couldn't score, okay? We do understand that Ryan Tannehill, for much of the season, had more interceptions and touchdowns thrown since Derrick Henry left. But we also do know that the best running back in the NFL, sorry, Jonathan Taylor, but when Derrick Henry is on, I don't think anybody's better than him, When he is back and he is healthy and he is ready to go, he is not a 15 carry back, even a 20 carry back. He's a 25 to 30 carry back that you can't stop. You can't bring down, and that's how the offense runs through him. Now, Tennessee has a number one overall seed. It is not because of Derrick Henry. It is because of a very good defense, which I was stunned about. It is because a weak division, sure, let's be honest. And it's also because... You look at the Tennessee Titans and you say to yourself, yeah, you know, they were able to run the ball once they figured out Devontae Foreman is pretty good. So they can still run the ball. They have a good offensive line. They do have some weapons coming back and getting healthy on the other side. And you start to look at the defense and it's a defense team. They are extremely well coached. That's something else that you never really talk about in the playoffs, but you really do have to emphasize that. Mike Rabel might be coach of the year. So it's a number one team at home. It's a number one team at home that got there without their star player. They got there on the backs of a very good defense, a defense that could get you some pressure, a defense that is exceedingly good in making you play their kind of game. They got there despite Ryan Tannehill being limited. They got there with some of their big-time weapons, wide receiver weapons, kind of coming back. And now you add in Derrick Henry who had a legitimate option to uh, scream, you know, I should have been the MVP like each of the last three years. He's that important to the team. Now you end up including that battering ram. So the real question for Tennessee is how healthy is he? I can tell you this. Look, there was a lot of speculation on writers' parts, people that I know that cover the team that said he could have gone in the last game. He could have played that last game and now you give him three more weeks to rest up and relax, there's going to be some rust, okay? But I would rather take fresh legs and not worry about the rust. I don't worry about the rust as much as I do. He's going to come back and he's going to be fresh. The sentiment that I've been hearing through people around the the media and the sports media and even the team itself, how much will Mike Vrabel run him? I don't think that that should be the prevailing question right here. In a coach's life, you get very few opportunities to win, to win it all. You can have good teams, but you have that feeling in your mind, in your soul. You know what? We could win it all this year. We could do something and win it all. And you know what? The Tennessee organization, if you made, you turn around to anybody in that organization right now and you said, look, you're going to win the Super Bowl this year. But Derrick Henry will not be the same over the next two or three years. At all. He'll never be the same again. You're going to run him into the ground. You're going to ruin him. Completely ruin him. But you get a, a ring with this. They're all signing up for it secretly. Every one of them is signing up for it. So the question starts to become, how much does Mike Vrabel believe in this team? Again, we go back to the notion that they're number one overall seed. They're number one overall seed playing at home, playing up against an upstart Cincinnati team. That they are favored over. They're then going to play against a Kansas City team that is not like they've been explosive the last couple of years. A Buffalo team that, look, you like Buffalo, but they've had their flaws, and you've already beaten them. And then you go to the Super Bowl. I don't think that Mike Vrabel holds back Derrick Henry. I think that Mike Vrabel looks at this as his one shining moment to really make an impact on the league. His one chance to get a ring. I think Derrick Henry's going to be a full full go. Now, If he's not... Maybe early on you see a little form in action, but I think he's going to be a full go. And speaking of Derrick Henry, let's talk about the other side. Because a lot of things that you can say about the Bengals are going to be good, and I'll say them in a moment. But here's the big key. I expect a full-out running attack by Derrick Henry. And if I expect that, you know that this line has got to be solid and just absolutely fantastic. Well, they're not. The best defensive player on that team very well might be their defensive tackle. Larry Agumi have <laughs> I. I. I practiced that. Okay. But he has played all 16 regular season games. He recorded a career-high seven tackles, seven sacks, 12 tackles for loss, tied the team. He's the best defensive tackle on their team. Defensive tackle plays right in the middle, man. That's right where Derrick Henry's going to attack. The guy standing next to him, Mike Daniels, not likely to play because he suffered a groin injury. The guy that stands next to him, Pro Bowl defensive end, Trey Hendricks, he's in concussion protocol all week. Guys, their defensive line is ravaged with injuries. Now, you could talk to me about the Bengals being 0-7 all-time on the road playoffs. You could talk to me about the Bengals being 0-9 all uh, postseason games away from Cincinnati. You could talk to me about 31 years. of the first time uh, they won a playoff game last week in 31 years. You could talk to me about all that. I'm looking at this defensive line. And Joe Burrow is a fun guy to root for. Joe Burrow is a guy that we all want to root for. And Jamar Chase and that offense. And they could sling the ball all over the field. They could surprise people by going deep and flinging it all over the field and really just playing that Bengals type of uh, offense that no defense can stop. They may do that. They may have success there. But I know that Tennessee is going to have success running the ball. I don't, I don't have any doubts about Derrick Henry. I have no doubts about Derrick Henry against a run defense that has looked pretty bad in the second half of the season, and I have no doubts against Derrick Henry without Mike Daniels, without two defensive tackles and potentially a defensive end. You know, I, I think Tennessee's getting disrespected here. I'm not telling you that. I'm 100% sold on Tennessee going uh, all the way and all this – I think they're being disrespected. I think a number one overall seed barely being a field goal favorite over Cincinnati is more of the case of people being short-sighted and just looking at Cincinnati and saying, oh, yeah, that that's the team. Oh, man. Oh, they're so good. That's what I'm looking at this. As far as the total goes, you know, I don't have a, a feeling that I, I love one way or the other. I think that Tennessee will be able to score, but I also think they're going to take their time in scoring. All right, Green Bay, San Francisco. Here we go. I know certain things about Aaron Rodgers, and I've made them very clear throughout my career. Throughout my career, I've told everybody Aaron Rodgers chokes during the playoffs. That's not entirely true. He chokes during the championship games, right? Chokes during the NFC championship games, not during the playoffs necessarily. He actually has one more touchdown, nine to eight, than interceptions in championship games. Five championship games, he's got a nine to eight turn, touchdown ratio. And if you don't include turnovers, because he does fumble the ball a lot, he's got more turnovers than touchdowns. But that's not in the divisional round. At Lambeau, divisional round, Aaron Rodgers is still pretty good. And I don't think that Aaron Rodgers has to be that good here. And that's the scary thing for San Francisco. Because this Green Bay team has turned into, you can run the ball. A.J. Dillon has given them that running ability, that smash punch in the mouth. And Aaron Jones, I know he was on the injury report, a little bit banged up. He is that one-two punch. And you start to get a one-two punch, well, those safeties are going to creep in. They're going to take that step in, and when you take that step in, Devontae Adams is behind you, and he's catching balls. San Francisco, on the other hand, look, they're catching six points here. That's a lot of points to be given to San Fran team. San Fran came into the playoffs as the team nobody wanted to face. San Fran came into the playoffs as the really well-coached team that has been here before. San Fran has a lot of things on the other side of the ball, meaning the offensive side, that are just nightmares for defenses, for any defense. George Kittle is a nightmare for any defense out there. Doesn't matter who you are. Debo Samuel is proving to be an unguardable nightmare because you could run him, you could throw him short, you could throw him deep. An unguardable nightmare. And it all runs with Eli Mitchell and, oh, by the way, the very steady hand of Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, you can give a lot of credit to Shanahan, sure, but that is the reality that these players are just difficult to match up against no matter what. Now you look at Green Bay, and there was a point where the Green Bay defense was considered a a good defense this year. They haven't looked very good recently. You can run on them, and you can certainly throw on them. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think, is going to go out and gunsling it all over the field. It still goes with Eli Mitchell. It still goes with the running game and Wilson, and and they're still going to try to pound the ball. But there are spots, and there are players that are put into positions and spots that can just... Drive Green Bay nuts. And over the middle, short passing game, George Kittle and Debo Samuel are two of those players. Now, do I think Brandon Ayou could have a big game? Yeah, sure. But the over the middle type short passing game is something that I think can eat Green Bay up all day long. Now, we've watched George Kittle disappear in big games. And it's not George Kittle's fault they keep him into block. I've watched last week barely any targets. Week 16, week 17, barely any time. Anybody that's got George Kittle on a fantasy team knows how poorly he ended, okay? But it wasn't his fault. There's just no targets. Well, this is a different matchup. Green Bay matches up poorly with athletic, big, tight ends. George Kittle is exactly that. Green Bay matches up poorly with a Debo Samuel type. That all you can do, you know, Cordell Patterson got all the attention, but all you can do, run around, get on the outside. Yeah, that type is explosive as well. So do I think that Green Bay is going to score? Yeah, I do. I think Green Bay is going to score. I think they're going to be able to have running ability. I think that Aaron Rodgers has a good game. Do I think San Francisco is going to be able to score? I do. A lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't believe that this Green Bay defense is very good. But a lot of it is the matchup nightmares. And there are certainly the matchup nightmares. So what about the San Francisco defense? Because we talked about the Green Bay defense. We talked about the Green Bay offense. We've talked about the San Francisco offense. Well, San Francisco defense. You know, they're going to get after you. They can absolutely pressure the quarterback. Aaron Rodgers does not like to be pressured. He's one of those guys that, if you can, and Brady's the same way. If you could get to him without blitzing, all of a sudden, you could make him make mistakes. Now, Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw interceptions, but Aaron Rodgers gets fluttered and flustered in the pocket. We've watched him fumble the ball, throw it away, you know, throw it over receivers' heads. He can get that in that position. And you have to look at this also. From the idea that, yeah, they could get after the passer, but their main attribute here, the San Francisco 49ers, are to come after you without the blitz. That is not exactly Rodgers' wheelhouse. So, you know, unit by unit, Green Bay is the better team. But San Francisco is still a dangerous team. You look at then coaching. You know, coaching, look, I still think that Shannon's a little overrated. And LaFleur is certainly overrated right now. So I'm going to give both their coaching a nice check mark. It's going to be in Green Bay. It's going to be freezing. It's going to be, I mean, actually freezing, right? It's going to be about 20 degrees there. There may be some snow. Who does that favor? Normally, you'd say it favors the home team, favors Aaron Rodgers. But Jimmy Garoppolo grew up in Chicago. This is a run-first offense. This is an offense that loves to keep the ball on the ground. I know it favors Green Bay because it is at home. It's in Lambeau, and, and Aaron Rodgers at home is just money. I get that, but I don't think it's that big of a disparity, not with the style that Green Bay plays. You might want to go out there and say that this is the last team the Packers wanted to see here. Because if they saw Dallas, I think that we all know that they would be leaving. If they saw Arizona, same thing, okay? They were just a superior team. If they saw the Rams, you know what? They may have struggled against uh, the Rams in the past, but we've seen Matt Stafford. We know what Matt Stafford could be, and we know what Matt Stafford could be in this building. And if you saw Brady, it's just that extra motivation factor because he knocked you out last year. I think San Francisco is the one team that they did not want to see. It's a matchup problem. It's a coaching problem. It's a defensive alignment problem. So do I think that Green Bay is the better team? I do. Do I think Green Bay advances? Yeah, most likely they do advance. But I'm not laying six in a spot like this. I'm not laying six to a San Francisco team that just keeps peaking. It seems they peak every week. And maybe they haven't hit their peak yet. That right there is why I'm looking at San Francisco and I'm looking at Green Bay and I'm going, I know that this should be the blowout game. This should be the game that Aaron Rodgers confidently leads them up and down the field. This should be that type of game. I just don't know if it will be. I can't lay the six to find out. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we get back, we'll talk about those Sunday games. A little bit of line movement that we do have to discuss. Why is the line moving that way? All that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get to gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. Right. What are the odds? What are the odds? All right, guys. What are the odds? Well, we're talking about the Super Bowl. What are the odds that the Tennessee Titans are getting no love? Well, they are right here. Right now, to win the Super Bowl, the Packers are plus 370. The Chiefs are 4-1. The Bills are 5-1 after turning some heads. They jumped in front of the Bucks, who are now plus 550. The Rams are 7-1. The Titans come in. The number one seeded Titans at plus 850. The Niners in ten to one, Bengals fifteen to one. That is what are the odds? Wow, I mean, you know, talk about a little disrespect. I don't look. I'm not pushing this Tennessee. It certainly sounds like it. It sounds like I'm betting Tennessee this weekend, right? Um, I just keep making. I just look. I've been down on Tennessee since the preseason. I have been sitting right there and I've been that 100% the guy that said I don't buy this team. Just don't buy it. I don't buy this team. I don't think that this team is going to be, make you know, make waves, big able to get over the Derrick Henry thing, be able to to control this defense. But I do still think they're being massively disrespected. Massively disrespected. 850? You know, you look at what they would have to do and who they'd have to go through. I, they've already beaten the Bills, the Bengals are on the road. Guys, I don't know. Plus Plus, a fifty is a little appealing to me. Titans, by the way, the Titans are 4-0 this year against the remaining playoff teams. Nobody else has done that. 4-0 as a number one seed. Vegas does not like the Titans at all. Very interesting stuff. All right, guys, let's go into the Sunday games we touched on, all the Saturday games. Let's talk about the Sunday games here. And, you know, you start to get into the Sunday games, and I know, look, the playoffs are all the playoffs, but you got to just say, the Sunday games are massively better. I I mean, look, just from a a viewership standpoint, the Sunday games are massively better. Tennessee-Cincinnati is fun for an NFL fan. You know, is that a backhanded compliment? It's fun for an NFL fan. Which means not a lot of fun for anybody else. I, I, I mean, Joe Burrow's fun, but the Bengals aren't exactly the team that is stopping the press. The, the Bengals aren't the team that everyone's in the bar is like, "Hey, I brought that Bengals game on, man." Right? I can't leave the house today. Get the Bengals playing, and I'm talking about outside of Cincinnati. Which, by the way, that helps as well. But um, and the and the Titans right now. Henry's fun, but they're an unappealing team. They just are. Run the ball, play defense. That's boring. Right? And, and Ryan Tannehill is your big draw. Your big draw is Ryan Tannehill might have some problems. You might. So, I, I get I get it, you know. But it's still, it's still a pretty good playoff game. And then you have, look, you got Aaron Rodgers against San Francisco. Aaron Rodgers, you know, from... California against San Francisco. San Fran, a storied franchise. Green Bay, uh, you could say the storied franchise. In Lambeau, cold, Saturday night. I mean, I know why they got the primetime game. Oh, man, can Aaron Rodgers, who's been in the news the whole year, right? He's been been the controversial guy the whole year. People that like Aaron Rodgers, people that like him politically, going to be rooting for him. People that uh, don't like him. Oh, man, that guy didn't wear a mask. And rooting against him. I mean, it's a it's a lightning rod game because of Aaron Rodgers. It, you know, but I'm sorry, Jimmy G doesn't move the needle. San Francisco's sort of that boring team also. Ah, run the ball. All right, couple couple good guys on their team. Anyway, when they went to the Super Bowl, they were a little uninspiring. You know, I get it. You know, but I I still it's still Aaron Rodgers. So look, it's good games. I don't want to put those games down, but they're nothing compared to Sunday. Sunday of Tom Brady. Making that historic charge once again against the Rams. The high-flying Rams from L.A. What a market to be in. With o- Odell Beckham Jr. Sean McVay is in a million commercials now, right? Matthew Stafford trying to rewrite his entire career. Wow! And then, of course, Chiefs Bills. And I've said it about the Chiefs Bills before, and I'll say it again. It, there used to be a time back in the, in the 90s. I, oh, man. Back in my day, you know, I feel feel like that has to be said like that. It has to be said with a sigh. I feel like when you say back in the 90s, it has to be said with with a back crack and a sigh. Let me see if I can get the back crack. Back in my day, back in the 90s, before all these joints hurt, right? But back in the 90s, guys. We used to joke around all the time because Super Bowls were always blowouts. Uh, We used to joke around all the time that the NFC Championship game was always better than the Super Bowl. That was the real Super Bowl. It was San Francisco-Green Bay, Green Bay-Dallas, San Fran-Dallas- Right, it was it you know some kind of combination Green Bay Dallas. it was some kind of combination of those three Green Bay Dallas San Fran year after year after year were battling it out and battling it out and battling it out and somewhere along the line you know it became better than the Super Bowl. You could argue that Bills Chiefs is going to be better than the Super Bowl. You can argue that because this is going to be the highlight premier game. So Sundays games are just far better from a viewership standpoint, but I would argue. Much, 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 much harder when we're talking about a sports betting standpoint. I mean, just, just, but it's just flat out harder. It's just flat out harder. Well, let's get into it. Tab base three point favorite two and a half. If you're still able to get the three, you're lucky. But two and a half out there against the Rams. The Rams have beaten the Bucks each of the last two years, including this year. And let's not glance over. It. Look, I know that the teams are different, but let's not glance over that that week 3 loss. I know that Tampa Bay wasn't completely healthy, but let's not glance over it. I know that the Rams now have added Odell and, and but let's not glance over it. Let's not glance over it because I'm going to take you to the uh the Wayne's World way back machine here, right? Let's go go back to September. What was the conversation in September? As a matter of fact, you could get a prop bet before September. Um would The Tampa Bay Bucks go undefeated. The conversation was the only thing left on Tom Brady's agenda with all the Super Bowls and Super Bowls with two different teams, the only thing left for him to do is to go undefeated. That was a lot of the conversation that was out there. A lot of the discussion was Tom Brady going undefeated. And you look through their schedule... And he said, okay, well, you know what? He's got some problems with the Saints, but they're, but they're down. They got Jameis Winston, right? This is before the year. And he's got a couple, yeah. He's gonna have look, he's gonna have to go to New England. That that's a circled game. But the Rams were the big circle game. It was early in the year. And the prevailing thought was if they beat the Rams, they may go undefeated. If they were able to beat this juggernaut. And this is before they added Odell and Von Miller, but what they did in the offseason adding Stafford, and the juggernaut that would be the Rams. Well, they went out there and they lost that game. And it it took a toll on what Tom Brady was because, listen, he threw the ball 55 times for 432 in a loss. He only threw one touchdown that day. Matthew Stafford outdueled him. 343 yards and four touchdowns. Rams get the win there. And that kind of, I don't want to say it derailed the season for the Tampa Bay Bucks because look at where they are, but it, it changed the course of the season for them. It changed the course of what they were going for. They may not talk about it anywhere outside of their own private houses. They may never come out with a book in 10 years. It may never be out there. But I can tell you that they were thinking, you know what? Maybe we brought the whole group back. Maybe we can go undefeated. And the minute they lost to the Rams, that conversation was over. That was an ended conversation. You, you can't think like that any longer. So there is a little bit of revenge there. I don't know how much revenge on a game three that you could really have. But if there's anything, it's going to be there. And you're talking about a guy in Tom Brady, and I've mentioned this many times, that is, I I defend Tom Brady to the hilt nine times out of ten. I, I love to defend Tom Brady. He's been probably my all-time favorite player, not on my favorite team. And it's not because I root for Tom Brady just in a ridiculous way. It's because... I like to watch greatness, and he certainly is exactly that. He is greatness. He's greatness personified. And I have grown accustomed to liking Tom Brady, not because he's on a New England Patriots or a Tampa Bay Bucs, not because he's the greatest of all time specifically, but also because, you know what, I, I, I like what he stands for. It's purely about winning. It's about this. But the one thing I can say in a negative standpoint about Tom Brady, which actually can be turned into a positive, but he's petty. And Tom Brady's a petty guy, right? Tom Brady's sitting back in the biggest mansion ever. He's winning with two teams. He's going to go down in history as the greatest quarterback the sport's ever seen. And let's be honest, the greatest player the sport has ever seen. Tom Brady has cemented his place, his legacy. He's got a, a supermodel wife, a legitimate. It's not like she's really hot and people go, oh man, have you seen his wife? She's like a supermodel. No, no, no. Hey, man, have you seen his wife? She is a supermodel, right? He's got a supermodel wife. He's got great kids. I mean, he's he, everybody likes him. Nice guy. Can't handle his tequila, obviously. But he, he's, everybody likes him. He, he's Outside of the people that root against him, he's got it all. Yet, he's so petty that he still talks about being passed over for the draft. He's so petty that he still talks about, you know what? I'm going to use that as motivation. I'm going to use something that happened 25 years ago to me, I was a different person. It was a different world, but I'm still going to grasp at that and use that as motivation, right? You still see him. He's throwing tablets on the sideline. I mean, he's still got the fire. So you don't think that losing during what was supposed to be his undefeated season, you don't think that losing that game kind of sticks in him? Yeah, it does. Now, getting into the game itself, look, Tristan Wirfs, That injury could be massive. The Tampa Bay Bucs offensive line has been stout all year. It is generally graded out in PFF, Pro Football Focus, as a top five offensive line, if not the number one overall. I've watched some publications put them number one overall. Okay, without Tristan Wirfs, that could be a problem, and we don't know the extent of his injury, and by the the way, Ryan Jensen as well. I think Jensen's going to play, worse I don't know about. That could be a big problem. And we all talk about you know Von Miller attacking and Aaron Donald in the middle and all that. Uh, but this is a blind side. So it, it is even more so important to keep Brady upright. It's also important to keep Brady upright because he's relying upon secondary receivers. He's relying upon guys that he just doesn't normally rely upon. Bashad Perryman may have earned a little place in his heart, but he's not normally reliant upon somebody like that. You look at... Mike Evans and Gronkowski, oh, they'll be fine. Cameron Brate, even, will be okay. But he doesn't have the full complement of receivers to just say, oh, it doesn't matter. If he gets under a little pressure, he's just going to throw it up. No, he gets under a pressure. Tom Brady can make some mistakes here, right? So that is something to pay attention to. But I will say this. You do have to still look at the Rams, and you have to say, they did bring back a retired player and Eric Weddle to be the not only on the field, be an integral part of that team because they lost three defensive backs, including their defensive play caller, two weeks ago. That is massive. That is being forgotten about. Nobody's mentioning it. Now, Tom Brady doesn't always go down, down the field, and he can pick you apart over the middle. The linebackers for the Rams, by the way, is a weaker, the weakest unit before all the injuries. Uh, you can sit back and go, oh, Ramsey's going to be on Evans. Yeah, that's fine. But Brady's going to go deep because this team is missing some defensive backs. The injuries in this game are sort of massive. And I don't think people are giving it enough credit to how massive they can be. That's something, that's a serious problem, right? That is a serious problem. On the other side, Tampa Bay's defense, you know, everyone says, you know, they're the best running defense in the league they did have some problems there when they were banged up I know Levante David was banged up for a while and you look at even White was uh hampered for a little while Vita Veya was was injured for a little bit Tampa's defense with the one area you could take advantage of look you're not going to run into the line here and expect to have success I think they're going to try to get something established with Sony Michelle. Sonny Michelle Michel is not the guy to get it done I think they're going to give Cam Akers even more leverage here but even cam Akers at his best probably not going to have massive success here so can you go downfield yes cooper cup will have a big day obj can have a big day absolutely you could push the ball down the field on tampa but the stat that i see is that the tampa bay defense they allow seven receptions which is the second most and 46 receiving yards per game to running backs That's the second most receptions the six most receiving yards Now, a lot of that is a product because teams can't run. But that is also an area you can take advantage of. And Matthew Stafford, for all the faults that he is, and he doesn't beat good teams... And he doesn't win playoff games and he doesn't, you know, beat good teams in his entire career, and he throws too many interceptions for all the problems that you want to uncover about Matthew Stafford. The one thing he can still do is he could still pick apart a defense that has a major problem and a major hole. Well, the Tampa Bay defense, they get torched by receiving running backs. Is Cam Akers ready for that role? Now I know Sonny Michelle isn't. Daryl Henderson would be, right? Daryl Henderson could make this all different. But I'll I'll tell you what, Daryl Henderson, how much is he going to be on the field at, at all? No, no. So Cam Akers, is he ready for that? That is something to pay attention to. So you have both sides of this where I absolutely see a weakness on the Rams side. It's downfield. It's over the top. It's with the safeties. I see a big-time weakness there for the Rams that certainly will be exploited by a veteran quarterback who, while he's known to be the dink and dunk guy, just last year led all quarterbacks in the entire NFL at downfield passes. Now, he lost Godwin, and he lost Brown. Brown wasn't an integral part last year. Godwin's not that downfield guy. Okay? So, I don't want to hear that it's just these guys. He was using Scotty Miller last year to go downfield. Who might be a bigger part of this, if you guys look at it as a prop place. And then on the other side, Matthew Stafford, a veteran-leading quarterback. Yes, they're going to try to run the ball. I think that they're going to have to abandon that soon enough. So if you're not going to run the ball, short passing attack, dink and dunk, dump it off. Well, there you go. That's something you can exploit with this Tampa Bay defense. So I think both quarterbacks are looking at this and finding exploitable options on the defensive side. Both quarterbacks and in the quarterback room with their offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, and the quarterbacks themselves are sitting there, and they're watching film all week. And they're watching exactly the numbers that I just gave you. They're watching, you know what's open? This is going to be open. It's going to be the little reception out of the backfield. It's going to be the five- or six-yard pass. It's going to be screen passes. That is how we can beat Tampa. And on the other side, Tom Brady's going, all right— Even if worse isn't 100%, we've got to find a way to get down the field. We've got to find a way to attack. I'll go after Ramsey, Mike Evans, if you feel comfortable, because we've got to find a way to attack. One thing I I did find interesting this week um, about this game, and it can be shared uh, kind of about this game. So Tom Brady has, you know, a podcast thing going on, and and, um, Jim Gray was on. And Jim Gray asked Tom Brady about the notion that, you know, we know about the tuck rule and everything else. But about the notion that Brady gets a lot of calls going his way. The perceived notion that Brady gets a lot of calls going his way. And, you know, look, the roughing the passer calls, that's going to go with any quarterback. Y- you can breathe on Brady and get a, a 15-yarder. I get it, right? That's with any quarterback, though. Maybe not the running quarterbacks. You know, if you're a Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, or a or, uh, Taysom Hill, Maybe you're not going to get the the same leeway. But it's going to be the same thing for a Matt Ryan. It's going to be the same thing for a Stafford. Or or I've watched Aaron Rodgers not get touched and get, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, uh, with the exception of that, this is a stat that I want to throw out. Because this is a stat that is pretty important. Opponents against the Buccaneers had the fewest combined defensive penalty yards in the NFL. The fewest. So... Throw away the narrative that the refs love Brady because they don't penalize the other team at all. All in all, this game, I think it's going to be what we expect. It's going to be a back-and-forth game. I didn't believe in the Rams early on, but I think that the Rams actually got a pretty good option here. If you had the option to go to Green Bay, and you guys know how I feel about Green Bay, I think it would have been a lot tougher for a hot-weather team, to go there, to go into the elements, to play that team. And I know that they played well last year against them, even though everyone was banged up. I get that. But I thought that that was going to be a little bit tough. But I I think the Rams are hitting their stride here. And they've looked a lot better recently. And now you go to Tampa Bay, you go to a place that is warm weather. You go to a team that has some flaws you can exploit. If Tristan Wirth is out of this game, you cannot bet Tampa. If he's not 100%, I still don't think you could bet Tampa. There are certain guys on this team, on this Tampa Bay team, you can lose, and it's, I'm not worried about. It. You can lose Chris Godwin. And I go, you know what? Great player. Fantastic. They could get past it. You could lose Antonio Brown. Great player. You know what? You can get past it. You could lose Gronk. I'm going, you know what? I think Cameron Brake could fill in admirably. I, I think OJ oh, Howard for a little brief stint there. Um uh, in the last two years, okay, he could fill in. You could lose Leonard Fournette, by the way. Fournette coming back, it could be huge because I think they're gonna be able to run the ball. But you could lose Fournette, and you go, Ah, this is kid Vaughn, he's looking okay, right? You could lose uh, Ronald Jones. There are everybody you can kind of lose on this team on the defensive side. Devin White, you cannot lose. Vita Vea, you kind of can't lose. Yeah, I think he's just too powerful in the middle. You certainly can't lose Brady, of course. I'm talking outside of Brady. And Brady's weapon, you cannot lose Tristan Wirfs. You can even you can even get past Ryan Jensen. You cannot lose Tristan Wirfs. This kid, and that's what he is as a kid, has established himself. They were bought they bought this him and they drafted him for the future and hoping he was going to be a future star. He's a star now, and he's protecting Tom Brady. He's got to be in there. If you are betting the Bucks, make sure Tristan Wirfs is in there. I'm not automatically saying if he's out, go bet the Rams. But you just can't bet the Bucks unless Worths is in there and as healthy as he could possibly be. That is a dynamic, dynamic player. I would say that's probably the most important player on the Bucks outside of Tom Brady. I would go as far to say that Tristan Worths is the most important player on the Tampa Bay Bucks outside of Tom Brady. You know, we're talking about the future. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right bet to the future now let's go bet to the future well the Raiders job is the hot job right now it seems in uh the circle of Conversation everyone's talking about. Maybe it's going to open up. Maybe this is going to be their coaching job that lures away one of the big boys. Well, let's take a look at some of these odds because Jim Harbaugh is a two to one favorite to land that job. So, yeah, they're thinking maybe they could lure him away. Uh, Look, the interim did a good job, brings them to the playoffs. So, Nick is five to two. Peterson, Doug Peterson's five to one. Mike Tomlin, seven to one. Odds now that would be a splash. Dabo Sweeney's eight to one. Byron Lefkowitz is ten to one. David Shaw is ten to one. Eric Bieniemy is ten to one. Sean Payton, yes, yeah, that Sean Payton, ten to one. Todd Bowles is twelve to one. Brian Dable fourteen to one. Joe Brady sixteen to one. Nathaniel Hackett is twenty to one, and that almost does it because Lane Kiffin is hundred to one. That is bet to the future. I know all these coaching changes and all these uh, possible coaching openings, because they're not all openings, right? It's possible coaching openings. It's already starting to become like the hot stove of the NFL, right? The hot stove of the NFL. Who's going where? I could tell you, look, I just don't... I thought for a while maybe Harbaugh would come back, but I'm starting to see that he's hiring defensive coordinators, right? He's hiring coordinators for Michigan. For Michigan. So... I just don't know if he would be going about that. It seems to me more like Harbaugh is using the NFL to kind of get a contract extension from Michigan, using the NFL for leverage and money leverage. It doesn't seem to me that Harbaugh is, you know, really serious about coming to the NFL. It really does seem to me that he's going to stay, and that's it. And look, I don't think Shaw is going to be the guy. I know that the Raiders are in a spot where. They want to make a splash. And usually defensive coordinators aren't the splash, like you know Leslie Frazier's of the world and Dan Quinn's of the world. So then you start to look at the offensive guys. And Kellen Moore, it's not a splash guy. I mean, he may be right for the job. Brian Dable's fantastic. I, I mean, I think Brian Dable should have a job tomorrow. He's not a splash. Nathaniel Hackett's not a splash. You know, That's the whole point. They're going to have to have a splash guy come in there. And I just don't see the splash name. Eric Bianami, you know, all good candidates, Brian Coach, good candidates, but there's no, oh my goodness, there's a splash. And if you're not going to make a splash, right? If you're not going to go out there and Mark Davis this thing and, and just go out there and, and give full control, go make that splash. I mean, Dabo Sweeney's a splash. I, I'll give you that. You know, Dabo is a splash. Uh, Sean Payton is a splash. And they could give Sean Payton complete and utter total control. Sean Payton's a splash. Dabo's a splash. Those are splashy guys. But if you're not going to go out there and and make that big splash, right? If you're not going to do that, why not just stick with the guy that got you to the playoffs? I I mean, wouldn't that make a little bit of sense? Why don't you just stick with that if you're not going to go out there and make the splash? All right. We have one game left to talk about. Kansas City is down to... Only a a one-and-a-half-point favorite over the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo is getting nearly 70% of the money coming in. Wow. Look, Buffalo was as impressive as any team last week, but Kansas City was pretty impressive themselves. Buffalo did do it against Bill Belichick. They did do it against the number one defense in the NFL in many respects. They did do it uh, in just fashion that we've all been waiting for, I think you can say. You know, One of the more ridiculous questions that I've ever heard a reporter ask was: They asked the Buffalo Bills after that loss on Monday night in that to New England, that weird game where Mac Jones attempted three passes. The Buffalo Bills lost that game. You know, New England scored two touchdowns, and they asked the defense, "Were you embarrassed out there? You know, were you humiliated out there?" And they they were like, "What are you talking about?" Um. That was the kind of chip on their shoulder maybe that they needed to move forward because they've looked pretty good. And I've said this. Look, before the year began, I gave you guys the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl this year. I said it's because of the potential that I do see in them. That potential is still there. Josh Allen played last week like I believe Josh Allen can play to win the Super Bowl. The defense played last week like I know, and I'm not the only one, but we've all known that they could play to go out there and win the Super Bowl. But you have to start to look at the Buffalo Bills and say, you know, are they that Super Bowl team? Did they did they go out there and did they win this game because it's a stepping stone to the Super Bowl? You know, I've mentioned a couple of times here, the the one of the worst moments in my sports career, right? right? Uh, my sports fandom career, not that I had a career. My sports fandom career is watching the Boston Red Sox beat the Yankees, and then go on to win the World Series. And you notice how I say that. Beat the Yankees, then go on to win the World Series. You know, the Boston Red Sox, the year that they won the World Series, beating the Yankees was more important because there was 86 years of history there. Beating the Yankees in the fashion that they did, there was no doubt they were going on to win the World Series. There was no doubt. Beating the Yankees in the fashion that they did, the World Series almost became secondary. Now, I'm not telling you the first-round playoff win against New England is, you know, going to be secondary, or or the Super Bowl will be secondary to that at all. But sometimes in sports, you have to slay your personal dragon before you can accomplish the big goals. And if there's ever been a personal dragon in the history of the NFL, it is the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick against the Buffalo Bills. And specifically... in in a position where you did that at home in front of those fans and the way that you did it, the manner you did it. So you have to ask yourself, was this a stepping stone to them finally unleashing everything that we thought that they would be? Finally, everything coming together, like the Matrix. like It was Josh Allen suddenly Neo, right, in the Matrix, where everything slowed down for him. And we all saw, wow, this is the Josh Allen we thought he could be. This is the Josh Allen we expected. This is the Josh Allen that not only is a Super Bowl contender, but probably the best quarterback in the league when he wants to be. This is that Josh Allen. Or was it merely a matter of a familiar opponent, extra motivation, extra emotional fortitude to go out there and to just play perfectly against an opponent you're used to, against an opponent you just beat a couple of weeks before that, and against an opponent that had a rookie quarterback playing? I mean, those are fair questions, aren't they? It's fair questions, Buffalo, to ask. I don't want to call it a fluke, but to ask, did, did that over-inflate you? And then you go to Kansas City, and it's sort of the same question. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs go out there. They played a pretty perfect game as well. Kansas City had absolutely no problems. Kansas City ran up and down the field. But Kansas City, you know you kind of had the same situation, didn't you? You played a Pittsburgh team that by all rights should not have been in the playoffs. It took a just epic collapse by the Colts for, to even get there. You played a Pittsburgh team that had a lot of injuries. You played a Pittsburgh team with a guy playing his last game because he was walking out and everyone's going, yeah, you know, what? we love Big Ben, but he left a year too er, too late, right? He should have left last year. And you played it at home. So both of these teams are in a position where you almost can't look at last week, yet that's why everyone's looking at them. Now, we could go down the course of history here, and you could say the Bills did beat Kansas City 38-20 to in Arrowhead in Week 5. Josh Allen was fantastic, threw for 315 and three touchdowns. Buffalo averaged 21 yards per reception in that game. That's pretty fantastic. Patrick Mahomes did not look good. The offense couldn't get it running, and... Every Chiefs fan will tell you, well, that was that was the bad incarnation of this Chiefs team. Because this Chiefs team, for early on in the season, there were questions. I had Joe Valerio on uh, with us, and there were legitimate questions. Can the, can the Chiefs fix this? Can they fix this? Well, they did. And they fixed it on the back of, oh, tremendous defense, right? That was it. It was, the, oh man, this defense, absolutely stellar, absolutely fantastic. But, It was also on the backs of playing some weak opponents, right? Early on, they played Cleveland, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Philly, Buffalo, Washington, Tennessee. That's the defense. That's who they played. They were three and four. Okay. Then their defense started to show up. Then their defense started to play. Here we go. Let's, let's, let's start to talk about the defense, but I'm even going to back it up. I'm going to back it up to even before that, because here are the list of quarterbacks that they've played since week six. Since that Buffalo game, that Buffalo game where Josh Allen went absolutely off, here's who they've played. Taylor Heineke, Ryan Tannehill, Daniel Jones. They beat Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love. They did beat a Derek Carr team. They did beat Dak Prescott. Then you came back, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr again, in overtime in a game where Justin Herbert had a great game. Then they beat Pittsburgh twice. Cincinnati they lost to, and Drew Locke in Denver. You know, Justin Herbert, that win is an impressive win, but it did take overtime. Justin Herbert didn't look great in that game, but it did take overtime. Their other win against, or their other game that they played against a really good quarterback was against Joe Burrow. They lost that game. When they played against Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, when they played against Ben Roethlisberger, They played against Jordan Love, Daniel Jones. They looked good. Taylor Heineke, their defense looked good. But even then, at the end of the year, this Kansas City defense started to falter. Allowed 24 to Drew Locke, 34 to Joe Burrow, 28 to the Chargers. So going into the playoffs, going into the playoffs, they had allowed 24 or more in three of the last four games. Pittsburgh put up 21 on them. It was a blowout, but they still put up 21. I know one of the defensive touchdowns. It, 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 it is what it is. Guys, I don't have a lot of confidence in this defense. I don't have the confidence that I had early on in the season with this defense at all. Now, Patrick Mahomes, though, has turned a corner. And everyone's staring at the defense and staring at what the defense can and has done. But play, playoff Patrick is real. Playoff Patrick Mahomes is 6-1 and one with 20 touchdowns and one interception. In his AFC playoff games, there's seven of them. That is real. That is a real turn the corner. Uh-oh, you got to watch out for that. I know he has struggled at times. He struggled in, you know, the Super Bowl. I get it. Playoff Patrick Mahomes is fantastic, though. And you have to look at that. Now, we start to look at, at you know, this is, like I said, the kind of the Super Bowl. What is the X factor here? You know, the Bills' defense is going to be solid because the Bills' defense is always solid, right? The Bills' defense is going to be able to limit Patrick Mahomes from getting big plays. The Chiefs have to run the ball to have any kind of chance in this game. They've got to run the ball to open everything else up. Not sure if they're going to be able to do that. The one thing that we know is that you go, you can run the ball on Buffalo, but the Chiefs are going to have to run the ball on Buffalo. It was kind of like last week where the Chiefs had to run on the ball in Pittsburgh. Instead, they went to the air all day, every day, and it turned out to be a win. I think that would be a mistake here. Buffalo, on the other side, got to run the ball as well. Devin Singletary has turned the corner. Devin Singletary looks pretty good recently. But this is more of a Josh Allen thing. I think the key to this game, I think that Mahomes is going to be good. Kelsey's going to be good. Hill's going to be good. I think that the defense of the Chiefs uh, will be decent at times. I think you have to say Josh Allen throwing the ball is going to be good. Diggs is going to be good. I think that is going to be good. It's going to be a good, hard-fought game. The difference here is going to be Josh Allen and Josh Allen's running ability. Josh Allen averages 13 yards more in cold weather than he does in warm weather. He averages 54 yards on the ground. If Josh Allen is running the ball for 50 yards, guys, I think Kansas City loses this game. Now, it's very difficult to spy on Josh Allen, but I think that it's more of an indictment of you can watch Patrick Mahomes throw up 300, 350 yards, and still win the game against the Chiefs because of their defense and because of their problems on defense. You cannot watch Josh Allen move up and down the field and expect to win if you're the Chiefs. I think that this is a right line. I think it opened up right at about two and a half or three. I think the Chiefs are probably the better team, but I'm not sure. I think that Buffalo is on a mission, though. And I've said it before the year. I thought Buffalo was the team to go to the Super Bowl. I thought before the playoffs, Buffalo was the team to go to the Super Bowl. I'm not getting off of it now. But I can tell you what, I'm not putting money on this game this week. No, 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 no way. I I think Buffalo can win, but I've got to see it. I think it's going to be a really, really good game. And Josh Allen is the difference maker here. All right, guys, enjoy all the games next week. We're going to have the championship games. We're going to go real in-depth. I'm going to try to grab you a guest for that one as well. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that.